Must be like the Wolf Pack, not like Six Pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of There's No I in Podcast, a podcast about teams. It's a podcast about being in teams. It's about leading teams. It is about getting the most out of your teams. I am Mark Johnson. I'm the performance maker and performance teacher who is once again joined by sports coach extraordinaire, head of sport and co-curricular, Sean Gallagher. How are you doing today, Sean? Very well, thank you, Mark. How are you? Uh, good. I've been thinking about uh, performance practice this week because I'm working with uh, a new bunch of students on making theatre from scratch and we have to be inspired by particular practitioners. Uh, and this week's Fun and Games is a practitioner that has by some been described as unusable. Wow. That he's one of the most influential people in theatre. Uh, his name's Antonin Arto, But Anyone who has uh, tried to make theatre that actually is like what he believed theatre should be like recognises it's impossible because it's a lot of screaming, a lot of guttural noises. It's, it's not me. great to watch. <laughs> Goodness me. Um, however, we have to find a way together to use all of this influence and make something out of it. So we've had a conversation with a guy whose work is unstageable, how do we how do we work out how to stage something? So it should be a fun week. It sounds like it's going to be a fun week, Mark. We've lots don't, of strange don't noises. Don't come down to the uh, the drama room this week. There will be uh, screams. I'll be avoiding like the plague for sure. <laughs> Funny you should say plague. Uh, one of his uh, ideas is that theatre should be like a virus that infects the audience. <laughs> Goodness me, how 2020? Yeah, exactly. It's the it's the the practitioner for right now. Um <laughs> what's been what's what's been on your mind, Sean? Have you added anything to your reading list? Um well, the viewers will be very happy to know that I've finished uh, my book about Bill Campbell, uh, the coach trillion dollar coach. So that is now another book. Um, to put away uh, and took some some takeaways from that and uh, yeah next up on the list is going to be The Power of Rituals um, by Casper Turkile um, I hope that's the right pronunciation uh, and he was on a podcast recently uh, one of my favorites uh, and just trying to talk about how religion can tie into some of the day-to-day -day kind of community-based stuff that we do and rituals rituals and traditions that we do and how we can kind of draw upon religion and that we kind of need the basis of it to kind of be the best communities we can be and the best teams we can be but he's an atheist which is you know intriguing in itself and so some of the stuff he talks about uh, just examples are crossfit for example, mm. being an, a kind of new type of religion and a new type of ritual. Um, the cult of CrossFit. The cult of CrossFit. And with any good cult, uh, they usually have a language attached to it. So, Mark, I will ask you now, what is an AMRAP? An AMRAP, I'm going to say, is uh, uh, something you eat at lunch <laughs> when you've done a really tough CrossFit sesh. So you're close, but no cigar. So that's as many reps as possible. So that would oh, be a nice. type of workout you do. What is E-M-O-M? Uh, E-M, -E every something, something matters. So every minute on the minute? 
Oh, okay. But you got the every. Uh, so yeah, so there's these little languages that go with it. And then there's also the example of SoulCycle, where you can kind of pay more, I believe he was saying, for like a front seat, which you may have kind of like get to the church early and get to the pew uh, to be as close to the priest <laughs> as possible. So there's all these kind of uh, things that he was trying to say that uh, that there are practical ways in 2020 and in, in the society we live in now where we can draw upon kind of things that happened in religion, even like the Sabbath um, and things like that and kind of bring it into a more modern, uh, modern day kind of scenario. So I find that really interesting. Yeah, no, definitely. And there is this concept um, that I've been considering in our workplace about how to make students feel part of something bigger, how to make people in a team recognize that there is something that attaches us all and that that kind of is bigger than all of us. And I was thinking about it in terms of a workplace, actually, where it's one thing to know my values. But if someone asked me, like, let's say I worked at Blockbuster Video, which I talk about as being my my favorite job ever, RIP Blockbuster. Um, Something I didn't know as a, as a, as a salesperson uh, at Blockbuster was what it meant to be a part of Blockbuster. Yeah. Uh, and and I knew why I was there. I loved films, enjoyed talking about films, but I didn't care about Blockbuster because it wasn't the thing I was connected to that was bigger than me. And I think the workplaces can be that. And I think there are some workplaces that are great examples of that, where you've got an understanding of not just, you know, what it means to do your job well, the kind of the behaviours attached to values, but also rolling back to this idea that it matters that the whole thing succeeds. And that's, and that's a challenge that religion does brilliantly. Exactly. And ritual does brilliantly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think from a, you know, from, as your role as head of well-being, you know, people, I think these days when they do suffer from sort of a, a lack of well-being in themselves and, and when they do get depressed, a lot of the time it's because they don't have a support system around them. That lack of connection. Lack of connection is absolutely huge. And as I said, I've not actually read this book yet. So it's just that I'd listened uh, to him on a podcast, talk about it, and and it's intrigued me enough to, to purchase it and give it a go. So I'm sure I'll have some more sort of takeaways from it in the next couple of weeks. But it, it was that connection that he was talking about. And, I, and I, I've even found it in myself, Mark, because I've been part of football teams for as long as I can remember. And in the last couple of years, I've not been. Um, and that kind of camaraderie and that common goal and we're working towards something uh, and the social elements that come with that, they are so important. And when they're not yeah. there, you do miss them. But also there's something about like religion specifically as an example. But if you think back to those those teams and that camaraderie, it's not about a logical association necessarily. It's not about facts. It kind of is about feelings it's about it's about absolutely yeah environment it's about it having stakes for everyone at the same time in a way that you're not necessarily going to be able to pin down so now Sean you you have a job as a drama teacher in your future because Arto the practitioner I was talking about earlier one of his biggest influences and it really changed the game for him was watching uh he went to see some Balinese dance theatre performers and 
shifted his entire perspective on what he thought theatre should be doing with an audience. And he became obsessed with ritual and the the wow. place of ritual, not just to kind of connect us, but to bypass our reason, to, to put something subconscious in there so that it matters on a more in, intrinsic level than because I know it to be true. Exactly. It's important because I feel it to be true. And, and it's the the ritualness that did that. So if you ever want to switch from sport to drama, uh, maybe the unstageable Antonin Artaud is your guy. So no one can work on his material, but, but perfect for me. <laughs> I've also, I've heard you right. scream as well. So. <laughs> and shout quite a lot. So uh, we talk a little bit, um, almost as if, almost as if we planned this, uh, Sean, we talk a little bit, <laughs> about the shifting of behaviours into something a little more um, holistic with our guest this week. With um, uh, Our guest this week is Danny Thompson. Danny is the director of sport uh, at an independent school in the Northwest. And he's had, he's had a long journey. He's, he's coached and he's taught coaches all around the world. And so has this brilliant perspective on what it means to... Uh, create teams from scratch and to take qualities from one team and really try and embed them in a new team, which means it's about culture and it's about those rituals. And we we bring it up a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean, this was a really good chat. Um, I connected with Danny uh, on LinkedIn and we were, you know, liking the same things and he was resharing a lot of stuff that I was a fan of and people I was a fan of, um, you know, that we mentioned Damien Hughes, uh, in the, uh, in the episode, which I, I really liked, um, and, and was really, uh, pleased that Danny gave his kind of uh, opinions on that and what that kind of meant to him when he uh, when he shared it because I think the interesting thing with LinkedIn is when we're sharing things I think there's a little bit more substance there and obviously that's very subjective and that's my opinion but I think there's a little bit more to what you're sharing because it's not just a photo of you know a Sunday down the pub or a Sunday roast or you know you and your girlfriend's outside the Eiffel Tower which I'm sure is fantastic but doesn't do huge amounts for me um but yes that when you're reposting things there's kind of like an intellectual reason for why you've done that because it kind of hit you in a certain way and you wanted to pass that on professionally mm. and so when he passed on the Damien Hughes um kind of post uh, which speaks about people he likes to work with it was really inter interesting to get Danny's view on that um but there's loads in there uh, yeah. and I'm sure that the audience are going to really enjoy this one yeah so let's jump straight over and start uh, hearing from the horse's mouth this is Danny Thompson talking about teams so we are really excited to welcome onto the podcast today Danny Thompson Danny is uh going to be going in deep with Sean today because Danny is a director of sport at an independent school up in the northwest of England. Uh, hello Danny. Hi how are you guys you all right? Yeah really good. G good thank you Danny. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I gave the the briefest of introductions I always end up saying. Um, so perhaps you would like to give us a little bit more info about yourself where you have uh, come from and been on this journey to where you are now. Yeah, it's, I'll try and keep it short. Um, but yeah, so yeah, basically, I've I've always had a passion for sport um, first and foremost, and 
a failed a failed footballer. Um, played decent level <laughs> at school, a little bit of academy stuff, uh, but never was going to be the best of the best. So for me, I thought, what, what's the next best thing? And I have a passion for getting the best out of people. Um, and I thought coaching and, and bringing football to life, that's my major sport. Um, mm. That's something I, I went down the route of. And uh, I looked out as a young 16-year-old, uh, I started my coaching badges and my coaching journey uh, from there. And that that just really ignited and reinforced that that's what i wanted to do um so i went away went to liverpool university and did a four-year uh, pe teaching degree which was i don't usually tell people this but it, the official title was pe sport and dance um so my my, my, dan, my dance skills are up there which is good the drama uh, the drama teacher in me is uh about to leap on that at some point in the pod fantastic <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very welcome to do that um and then yeah so after four years there and, and i did a little bit of coaching in america uh in the summer times uh so in texas i was coaching some girls football teams or soccer as they call it out there um which was really really insightful it, it developed me as a a coach because um, it was in quite a lot of a Spanish-speaking area um, mm. and that language barrier there. Uh, I did GCSE uh, Spanish, but it wasn't to the levels of, of the uh, Hispanic uh, people over in, in Texas. So that was that was a good way of developing me. Um, then uh, I got my first job. I was in America and I applied for a job uh, at a school, independent school in the Northwest. Um, and uh, initially I thought, well, I might not get it. I'm a, I'm a state school boy. I've, ne- I've never been into the independent sector. Uh, but right. I applied for it. Um, yeah, got got the interview, um, and then I say the rest is history. So from there, I went from an NQT, uh, developed to a, a head of football, uh, to a head of boys games, um, and that was an eight-year journey, uh, which developed me um, a lot, a lot of learning from lots of different people and role models there, which we'll, we'll dip into probably later. Uh, at the same time, I was I was working on my football. I, I worked at a, a Northwest Academy, uh, focusing on recruitment and coaching at the, the smaller end, so the the under eights, the under nines. Uh, again, that was a different challenge uh, to the school setting. Um, and then, yeah, after eight years in 2012, I think it was, uh, I got a call to say a, a big independent school, uh, international school, was opening in Hong Kong, uh, Harrow School, uh, and they said, "Do you want to come on board? It's a, a brand new school and." Uh, yeah, basically, it's a blank canvas, and that really, mm. really excited me. Joining uh, the director of sport, it was, the role was actually taking on head of football. Um, and again, that was that was a great learning curve, learning from different cultures, different backgrounds. So I was working with Kiwis, Aussies, uh, English, Scottish, yeah. and, and it, it was that was a real eye opener because uh, I always sometimes feel in England we we think this is how it should be done and. We we're not as open-minded as as we could be, maybe. Uh, so yes, that was great. And at the same time, again, that my fire for football was still going. So I I, I took on a role, a part-time role at the same time at uh, a club called Hong Kong Football Club, which is quite a prestige uh, club in Hong Kong. Is their coach educator, uh, and that role was putting a policy in place for coaching the coaches, uh, delivering that, and then putting a curriculum in place um, throughout the all, all age groups in there. Um, and I did, yeah, did, we did five years out there as a family. So I had my first child out there, which was which was good. And we'll always have a little bit of Hong Kong uh, to take away with us. Um, and then yeah, <laughs> after that five year journey, we uh, a job came up, and we were looking to get back for family reasons. And a job came up at uh, a top independent school in London, um, where I took on the role there as deputy director of sport and head of football. So it was a dual role. Um, we did a year there. The plan wasn't to do a year there. The plan was to do a good five-year stint, but 
the northwest calling the the cold and the wet the rain. <laughs> I, I missed it too much, um, and a job opportunity came at the school I'm at now as director of sport. And yeah, I just thought I'd always regret it if I didn't apply for that job and and go for it. And we've got family on our doorstep, and I'm a big Manchester United fan, and I give up my season ticket after five years. And I was thinking to come back, but at the moment we can't get there. So. <laughs> So how long have you how long have you been where you're at at the moment? So this is 18 months. So yeah, 18 months into that this journey, it's it's been not as well I expected. Obviously with COVID hitting a bump in the road, but yeah, makes... that's that's a good chunk of that time, isn't it? Mm, yeah, but no, no, it's been good. So yeah, that's that's been the short version I'd say of the journey so far. Wow, very very kind of varied there, uh, Danny, which which is really interesting. I was just I just wanted to say to our listeners, uh, I'm in West London at the moment and it's grey, dreary and wet. So the the London northwest where you wanted the wet weather, I think it's down south as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you can escape it in the UK, can you? Uh, but no, no, really varied there. I mean, I, I want to touch a little bit on the US, I think, which mm-hmm. is kind of maybe maybe towards the beginning. Yeah. Um, how would you find their kind of sports ethos? You know, uh, Mark, we were saying before the recording, uh, Danny, Mark is a big NFL fan. Yeah. And we we really buy into the way they kind of approach sport. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's such a huge deal for them out there. Did you feel that over there? And was that slightly different to the UK? Um, and what did you kind of take away from that? Mainly their ethos, I guess, towards sport. Yeah, it was, it was I guess it was a culture. Um, I think the culture in schools, in colleges is very much different than, than England. And I also got that from my international stay with the, the Kiwis I work with. It's The sport is seen as different within schools. Um, because I think in England we have a mixture of club sport and school sport and over in America and and in New Zealand, especially it's club sport happens at the younger ages. But as soon as you get to senior school, that's what sport is. It's, it's all about the school sport. Uh, And then when they leave that college or, or the, or this, the school, it's then back into club sport or in America, it's the universities. And well, it's so, it's so tied to the recruitment process, isn't it? That, that the access to the industry when it comes down to it is, via your academic mm-hmm. institution yeah. with the the various college drafts. No, exactly. Uh, so they're kind of tight in. How did it feel being a, what I would probably imagine was a minority sport out there, which well, like, live, breathe football yeah. in the UK, soccer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you, you said it because I was involved <laughs> in the girls section. Actually, soccer in the girls, is that that's their biggest sport. Um, so the difference between the boys and the girls is, is huge. If I was involved in that in the boys section, yeah, definitely I'd probably feel that. But in the, the girls, it was that was their prestige. passion, their prestige. Every single girl played football and it, and it seemed to be cool to play football or soccer, as I have to I, yeah, keep saying when I'm over there. I use that in the office just to wind Sean up, <laughs> correct him. Especially at the uh, with the international team, Danny, I, I would imagine in the US that the, the women's team is is a lot bigger than the men's team. Oh, huge! Yeah, huge, hugely yeah. bigger. Their their professional setup is bigger. Uh, their college setup and all the resources are thrown into into female uh, girls soccer really up in in the, the colleges because of I think because of the American football and the basketball at the college level they throw a lot of money into that in terms of coaches, in terms of player recruitment. And in the university setting over in America, there has to be a parity in girls. And that's where 
they would then put their resources in because uh, the females and NFL is not really a female sport at the moment over there. It's fascinating that I don't think any of us, either in the arts or sport, as coaches would want to imagine that it ends up being about the money spent on it. Mm. But that commitment to resourcing something, like arguably the best the best team in the world as far as women's soccer goes. Yeah. And that's that's a direct relationship to like institutions and the sporting culture of America committing resources yeah. to that game. Yeah. Makes you what makes you want to kind of just point at it to the government and say, yeah. just like throw money at it and we'll win stuff. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's not just money. It's just having getting the right people in the right places and having that real passion. And to be fair to the to the FA, I think they're in England at the moment. They're throwing a lot of resources at it in the FA. Um, and develop. equal pay now, isn't it, Danny? I think that's the, what, the international team. Yeah, the international teams. It's equal pay, and and quite rightly at that level, I think it should be. Um, for me, the, the the FA need to now get involved in the in the schools, and that's where you develop those foundations. And for me, every every single child goes to school, so that's where you should hit. Whereas not every child goes to a club. Um, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean that's where I've had multiple conversations with with different people, Danny, around that whole you know American high school recruitment program and college setup mm-hmm. um, around sport. And for me, I know that there is some interesting stuff that goes on, especially with like the NBA and, you know, these athlete students not getting paid, but the, you know, NCAA makes a lot of money off the back of these student athletes. So there isn't a perfect system. No. But I I just feel that in school sport, I mean, in an independent sector, it's still very strong and students can have a good five years, you know, plus of really good coaching, really good facilities and regular fixtures. If you start to look at the state sector, it's not like that. No, it's really not. It's almost died away um, in in terms of regular fixtures. And that was where, you know, scouts would go. They would go to to, to state schools. That's where they would pick up, you know, hungry, excellent footballers. Um, And so, yeah, I do think we maybe need to look at a different, a different structure, but um, I was going to touch on sort of your time in Hong Kong. Yeah. And that kind of blank canvas, Danny, because I, I kind of had something similar going into to my setting five years ago, and that did excite me. And it's mm. it, it's what you described. You felt excited to go in on a blank canvas, but there's also a lot of challenges that come yeah. with a blank canvas as well. So could you maybe take us through that process of, of Hong Kong and, and where you took it, uh, where it started and where you took it to? Yeah, so, so I, I joined in the year two of the school. So um, we had a director of sport uh, along with another member of staff who went in and started the, the, the real teething problems because uh, when they, they went in, I think it was a school that usually new schools open in phases, whereas Harrow opened the full shebang. It was from wow. three years of age up till the age of uh, end of GCSEs and the plan was Recruiting entered. for every year at the same time. Yeah, which is crazy because I, I would have thought you'd just phase it in slowly and build it but mm. the market was there for that um, and they went for it which yeah they, they had some problems and teething problems facilities I think the the 3G AstroTurf pitch wasn't ready on opening and they didn't have any sports facilities so they were th- thinking out of the box what what spaces can we use can we use 
uh, a step challenge going up and down the corridors can we uh, run around wow. run around the car parks and using areas like that can we go down we were lucky enough to have a beach down there so we would go and do pee lessons on the beach and um, so it's thinking out, out out of the box and uh, for me those are those are the best things to do because you're actually challenged and you you've got to th- make things happen hmm. um, but yeah when I when I joined I joined uh, as the team was a little bit more established as a year in um, but from the football point of view it was a blank canvas it was building up from the bottom um, basically creating uh, a culture creating a curriculum creating the, the technical element um, going out into the community to create uh, links so with the local community but also the international community um, and yeah and just building that that reputation um, was was exciting I mean, did, it, did it help to have the name behind you um, yes in some aspects it did yeah yeah no it de- definitely did um, as well as that, as well, to get the name and the brand, uh, the, the academy I work with in England, um, we also set up that academy in Hong Kong. Um, yeah. So that was a real good partnership. So we got the partnership between the, the Premier League club and the school, and we got out there and, and trained our our children to be coaches to go into the local community because I think that was wicked, really important in giving back, but not just from the staff, but from the kids. Um, so they got a real life experience of that. Um, so yes, yeah, so like I said, it was really, really exciting. The hard bit was recruitment uh, internationally because obviously sometimes you can't get people out to see them physically teach and physically meet them. So a lot of it's Zoom over and you've got to get good judgments of that. So that was one of the tricky elements of it. But we were very lucky. We attracted top, top level people and um, we were lucky with our recruitment process. Danny, when when you say, you know, we had to create a culture, if we if we specifically look at football now, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, we, we, all, we talk about culture so much and people listening to this podcast regularly, um, which, you know, there are some of them. Sean's um, culture rant of the week. <laughs> exactly. We need a button, Mark. We need a button. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, when we say creating culture, it kind of rolls off the tongue, but yeah. there's a huge amount that goes into that. What, yeah. Were there any practical kind of practical examples that, you know, were we sitting in rooms with them with PowerPoints? Were we doing icebreakers? Were we going off and doing trips? Were we surveys on, on how they felt? Was it written on the wall? You know, what, what was your version of kind of creating that football culture within that school? Yeah, well, yeah, well, this could take hours. Um, but yeah, there's lots and lots of things we could do. So yeah, f- first of all, for me, it was understanding what I wanted to get, the long-term plan. Um, and then obviously working with those the staff members and, and, and the children about that. So for me, culture was defined basically, how do we do things around here? Um, and that, that's the key thing is, it, and it links into me for behaviours and trying to create those those behaviours that you're held accountable to, I would say. So for me, you can have all these wordy visions and, and goals, but actually for me, what we judged everyone on was the behaviours uh, mm. and what what we did in, in Hong Kong was we want I could have dictated to them this is what we should do but for me that's not going to work it's in my mind I had something what I, I wanted to get out of it but I wanted it to come from them um, and that was the staff that was the players that was the parents as well uh, the whole community so giving them a voice of doing that so the ways we did that was with the staff we sat down and we said okay right in the perfect world and what, what would you be like in your best version? Um, what key attributes would you do? So we, with the staff, we got them to write down their top top five. Uh, and then as a group, we got that together and we said, okay, right, these are everybody's top five. Now let's pick a top five for our department. 
Mm. Um, brilliant. We got those words. And then the next stage was then, okay, let's break that down now and say, right. For, so for example, one of ours was preparation. What yeah. does preparation look like? Yeah. What so, does it look like in this building? Yeah. In this building. Yeah. So as a, as a member of staff, preparation would be your lessons, brilliant. That you planned your lesson to the top level. Preparation means your session is set up before the kids arrive. Um, those are our standards. Those are what we are judged on. Um, and then, like I said, that's that's when we we said what would they look like? What would they, what would we see? What would we hear? And then as a team, we then narrowed it into five as a team. Um, mm. And that's what we were accountable for. And, and that's all we're going to be judged on, not on how many kids play because actually these behaviours will make that happen. And what processes of accountability did you have in place? Because obviously we have uh, a level of professionalism we expect from each other and we set these standards. Um, how were you holding each other to account? Were you copying to it yourself? Were you going, okay, on this day I didn't meet the expectation? <laughs> or was there a way in which the management of that was communicated so that I, I would know as as Mark, who had a rough weekend and uh, slow started, didn't get, didn't, didn't get set up today. Yeah. Who notices that? And did you at the same time agree kind of what happens about that? Yeah, it, in a way, I guess I guess it's, for me, is empathy as well. Um, mm. is, I always, one of those, that was one of our behaviours as well, is empathy, is putting people in, being their shoes uh, and understand. And again, creating that collective, actually we're a team, we're here to support each other. Um, and on these behaviours, I, I would always say to the staff, rate yourself out of 10 on those every day. I'm saying you're not going to be 10 out of 10 every day, but we should be at a certain level at 8 out of 10. And also make getting them to be self-aware of that and, and manage themselves in a way and us managing each other and be, yeah, being able to... It's the trust, I think. It's the trust of each yeah. other and being able to be honest with each other and not, not be scared of doing it. Yeah, it's interesting because that's where... I know that we've spoken to a bunch of people who have echoed this idea that values mm. have to be translated into behaviours. Yeah. But it feels like at that point, the behaviours and how you're meeting them almost has to be translated back into values. Mm -hmm. Like we all have to consider it important. Yeah, That's yeah. why we're staying at eight out of 10 yeah. because we've all made this agreement uh, to be like this because we all agree that, that these things are important. Yeah. Uh, and in that respect, holding yourself to account because it's important to me, but also because I've sat in a room with a bunch of people and said, we all have decided this yeah. is who we are. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what sometimes people miss. People put the words on the wall, but actually that's all they are. And yeah. they, for me, they've got to be lived and breathed and being held accountable for, and it's it's every day. Um, and I spoke I spoke to a, a guy yesterday, actually. He, he said a brilliant quote to me. He was saying, you don't have to have high a high-performance ability to have a high-performance mindset. Uh, and mm. that that just resonated with me massively. It's these behaviours are your choice. Yes. Well, there's the title, Danny. So, <laughs> yeah. And I think when it boils down to it, none of the stuff that we're talking about is is like elite level no. actions. No. They are fairly basic standards. And if 
when you're having that conversation, you're not able to hold it up. That's a flaw in that conversation. Yeah. If you're agreeing to something that you're never going to meet, then that room isn't the right tone or isn't, you know, people aren't listening in that room. Yeah. Because I think if you were the one person out of five sat in a room where four people out of five are going, so what we need to be doing is hitting 99% every day. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, I'm not trained for that. I've not, <laughs> yeah. I've not had that experience. Mm-hmm. Then it has to be about how do we get you as a team member up to that. Yeah. So Danny, just, I wanted to touch on, you know, you said about being a state school boy. I think you mentioned that earlier and would you get a job sort of in the independent sector? Mm -hmm. I'm going to have a a state school love in now because I'm also a state school boy myself working in an independent school. And it's been something that has been on my mind as well as to when you go into these independent schools, many staff members can also come from an independent background. Yeah. And so, you know, there are assumptions uh, and I don't know, it can just make, it can be a different feeling. You know, you go to a fixture, you go into that building, it's a very different vibe Mm -hmm. um, to maybe what you're used to or what you've grown up with. How, how do you see that kind of difference? Or was it something you had to kind of work on? Does it not even exist to you now? I just wanted to touch on that a little bit. Yeah, no, I think, I think it was probably me myself thinking that and actually it doesn't exist now. Yeah, and I think that was a little bit of it, maybe insecurity in me thinking, actually, and seeing it, am I good enough to be in that position more so? So I think it was more of a personal thing than, uh, yeah, I don't think it is out there. Um, I don't know, what, what were your thoughts? Yeah, no, I think I think uh, it's going to just become a kind of a, a counselling session now. No, I, th- I, I think I'm just I think amazed that a guest has asked a question. We've been do- we we tend to do all the questioning. Yeah, throw it I, back I, at I Sean. Know. What do you think, Sean? Yeah, no, God, I don't know what to do now. Uh, no, Danny, uh, absolutely right. I think you saying it's about yourself and your own insecurities is definitely probably where I sit with that. Mm. Um, to be honest, and I think the majority of the time, if you're good enough to do the job, people don't really care. Yeah. Um, uh, on your background, so. Yeah, I, th- I do think that's quite a quite an important point. Interestingly, from a dra- from a drama point of view, mm. because so much of the the theatre culture is built around a certain type of voice or mm-hmm. a certain type of poshness. Yeah, it's true. something that 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 in drama. Yeah. I spend quite a lot of time trying to deconstruct, particularly as we've got a bunch of, uh, as an international school, uh, we've got a bunch of students who don't speak with the Radio 4 voice mm. um, yeah. and who shouldn't. And, you know, when I work with youth theatres, I work with a youth theatre in an area where we don't hear voices that sound like they've been to drama school. Yeah. And my experience of drama school was not quite, we're trying to get rid of that that either working classness or uh, culture, it's it doesn't exist as much now. It's still there a little bit. And there is still an expectation of assimilation to a certain type of class, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So we kind of try, like we actively have to undo that in the, in the drama environment. Even if as a teacher, you are, you know, you can come from anywhere. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't happen as much in the drama, in the drama environment. There's a lot of there's a lot of poshness. Yeah. In it as yeah. an industry. There's a lot of posh actors on TV as well. Yeah, that's and that sure. gets re- that gets reflected back to the people who want to do it. Can yeah, you imagine yeah. if the like well I think about rugby as yeah. as the sporting alternative. Nobody's necessarily c- coming into English rugby. Yeah. From the state school partly because that scouting isn't there. But there's a lot of there's a lot of lawyers and doctors who you know play rugby for England on the side. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> 
So Danny, I've followed you keenly on LinkedIn and I saw recently you reposted something from Damien Hughes, who I'm a massive fan of, uh, both the Barcelona Way and uh, the High Performance Podcast. Um, And he's put up a Venn diagram here of people he most likes to work with. Um, And obviously you reshared it, so you're a fan as well. Just, I just wanted you to take us through that because I think it says a lot about you and how you work and, and kind of the people you want to work with. Yeah, no, definitely. So yeah, in that, in that diagram was, it was, the first section is dream big, um, and for me, that's I want to work with people who've got passion, who believe things are possible, um, who have got more of a growth mindset rather than thinking, looking at opportunities, uh, how to develop. So that that's for me the dream big bit is you've got to have aspiration, um, and the big one for me, and this is quite funny in the teachers world, is they've got to have that love for learning. Um, for me, as a as a teacher, as an educator, we want to inspire pupils to learn. But some of, some of us don't want to learn ourselves a little bit. Um, so I think I think that's important that in, in, inspiration to learn and love for learning and to keep that going. Second part is get shit done. Um, pardon the language, but it basically just <laughs> get get on with the job. Uh, again, linking in a little bit to dreaming big and having having that mindset of you know what. It might not work now, but let's give it a go. Um, let's make it happen. Let's not look for ways of making it not to work um, and having that positive outlook on it. Um, and like I said, the, the last section is having fun. Um, and I always remember when I was in Hong Kong that the team there was amazing. It was This was definitely about the team. We knew when to switch on to work and be serious, but we also knew when to focus on our mindset and think, well, this, this is where we need to be professional. This is where... We want to work work our nuts off, um, and that combination of having all three—that's the dream team for me, definitely. Absolutely, no. I saw it myself, and I was I was a big fan of it. Um, and it was interesting that you posted it, and you know, it was I was excited to have you on because I wanted you to just touch on what that meant for you because mm. I think everyone will have a different version of of those three things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of being in a job, being in a team, I think is that kind of being in the room yeah. because, you know, just, just turning up and, and like you said, just getting stuff done. I think a lot of people kind of faff around and they um and ah, or they kind of moan about a thing. And a lot of it is just like, we could be saving a lot of time and energy here by getting this done, Mm. moving on, achieving something and then onto the next task. Or being, being half in the room as well is a problem where you've got people who are taking up space in the room, but not, giving to the room absolutely contributing yeah yeah and i think this links into what we said again about the behaviors and holding people accountable to those behaviors and and breaking down what does it look like what do we say and if it's not happening then the team please themselves yeah um, i think that's that's the dream culture and that's with that venn diagram that's what you want to try and create and if you get that it's amazing like any good dressing room, yeah. self-policed, <laughs> self-policed. I was going to ask, with the progression that you've had career-wise mm-hmm. that has taken you from a very specific a sole focus on football uh-huh. and then into the director of sport roles yeah. via this idea of, of coaching coaches... What had to change, if anything, uh-huh. for you in order to uh, broaden this kind of skill base or this area of focus 
out of just the because we talk about the X's and O's or the you know the the drills yeah. and the, the understanding how to play football as uh-huh. one part of the being that coach. But when you start becoming deputy director or director of sport whole, how does the coach in you adapt to to now dealing with? That I'm assuming the crickets and the netballs and the and the lacrosses or the uh, cross country running, all of that. What stays the same? What has to be different? Yeah, so I guess from the journey of as a coach, really, you, it's when you're learning about the technical aspects, and as you get the experience, you grow into thinking actually it's a bigger picture. It's it's not just a technique. It's about teamwork. It's about tactics. It's about psychological factors. It's about creating that culture. So. For me, whatever team it is, the values and stuff stays the same. Um, and for, for me, in a, in a, in a director of sport role, what I've learned is there's there's maybe three things that I really, really focus on um, as a director of sport. So the first is is the leadership aspect of it. Um, and in, in that, for me, that's not management, that's not administration. Leadership for me means visionary. So you've got to create and share and infuse a vision, um, which is long-term. Um, and, and for me, you've got to share that to a number of key parties. You've got to share that with the leaders of the school or the organisation, the the pupils, your staff, and the parents, so the wider community. Uh, so that's, for me, what a, a big part of a director of sport is. And is that about standing up in front of them, literally getting on, on a podium? That, that, that could be one aspect you do that. That's not the only way you do that. It's, again, how you would do things... Uh, week by week, day by day, um, it's it's not just standing there in front of somebody. It's it's mm. actually walking the walk and actually yeah, doing it. How how you're calling stuff out or how you're reinforcing the yeah. right stuff. Yeah. I see. Uh, and the second part of leadership for me is strategic. So he's actually having that thought process and being able to step back and and clearly see where you want to get to, and then putting those building blocks in place to happen. And, and one thing I I really need to work on is I used to fall in the trap of one I think I want it done now it, it, mm. it can't happen it, it could happen a little bit in the international section because it was a brand new blank canvas but when you've got people to work with you've got to try and get them on board and take them with you rather than dictating um, there comes a point where if you give people the chance and time that they don't get on board then things need to change but uh, that links to that and like I said it links in that that third part is don't just talk the talk is act it and follow through and, and lead by example um, my second part of my role I think after leadership is that culture aspect so really for me in a, as a director of sport I want to create our children to love sport and really love sport and you, when you walk into the, to my school I want you to see you can see it if anyone comes in you can see how they're acting you can see your fitness room it's 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 chock a block people want to do it um well, i want i want to see that sports fun and and the clubs are uh, numbers are through the roof that's what we want to want to see and that's how you could see culture and the culture i i want to bring with everybody is be the best version of you in whatever it is um and that's something i hammer home every single session every single meeting is be the best you can be. Um, and one thing I always say to the kids and, and the staff, to be fair, is when you walk into a room or into a classroom, imagine what it feels like if you know you've not given it your best shot. You walk out of that door. What, what do you feel? You don't feel good about yourself. You're going to feel down, negative about yourself. Whereas 
let's flip it on its head. You walk into that room with a mindset and it links to that high-performance mindset, I'm going to give him a best shot. Then you will do it. And then when you leave that session, you're going to feel brilliant about yourself. You're going to feel positive. Um, and I think that's... Everybody can take take that on board and um, just that mindset, I think it's a, a key thing. So that's one of my big things is driving that culture. And then the last element of a director of sport is that, and probably the toughest one is quality control. Um, making sure, for me, I believe that every opportunity we offer children in school, whether it's an A-team footballer to a C-team, D-team, E-team footballer, that they all deserve high quality. Because um, you see it so many times, and I've seen in the past where you get your head of football, your, your top coach doing all the A teams for the team, for the school, and the the D team yeah. coaches, you put on somebody who is an academic member of staff, is keen, enthusiastic, but hasn't got the expertise. And for me, that's not right. That we we need to give every single child that opportunity yeah. to have high quality. Um, and you, and you can do that with your academic staff, but it's where you put a program there. Yeah. Your head of football puts on a coach education program for the whole of your, your 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 sports team. And have you ever experienced pushback on that? Because there is a there is a the potential for a frustration mm-hmm. if your focus is on performance or elite sport. Yeah. That that I mean, I personally quite love working with beginners yeah. because of that sense of excitement that they have for learning but do you have do you have to literally say to you know your elite coaches you need to spend time with the ones that need the training I guess you can again it depends on that person and it's, for me everything you do is about all about people and uh, if you get the right people in the right places um then you make it happen and it links into that culture um yeah, these, so are, the, the, these are the behaviours. These are that's expectations. what they're signing up for in the first place. This is what we're doing, and mm. either get in the boat or get out. It's that's clear cut. That's but but that's what yeah. it is all about. People and for me, that's an expectation. Is is that and and so do you do coaching observations then? Yeah, yeah. So that's one thing I I always think in in some schools that they they don't really the appraisal systems are just tick boxes exercise where I feel it should be an ongoing process where. It's it's all about making you better uh, and giving you feedback and, and developing you as a, a coach, as a teacher. So I, as part of my appraisal, I always try and do, see every single member of staff at least once a term, um, mm. following up with a one-to-one, um, just giving key Target points. setting? Um, yes, target setting, but really just, 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 yeah, just making it on the same page and mm. not making it a fear factor that's what you really want to try and get buy-in about and it's about you being the best you can be so Danny that is all awesome honestly those three points I think are massive takeaways for any kind of director of sport but just anyone that works with people I think um, or is you know in management has a management responsibility absolutely absolutely Um, we do ask our guests um, and uh, to to give us some inspirational people or people that have influenced them and we say that coaches make coaches and so I just wanted to know anyone who's kind of as as I said influenced you along the way um, and kind of key takeaways you've taken from from some people in your career yeah uh, yeah, probably my my father he was a big big influence on my life really in terms of coaching and inspiring me to for my love for football probably um he he was my coach all the way through my junior time and um, that was a positive in some ways it was mm. a negative in others that i used to always 
be the one who was told the hardest critics and I used to get it in oh, the car yeah. on the way home and yeah um, but you gotta I, clean up after everyone yeah yeah <laughs> you're the one who has to stay behind and pick up the water bottles in the kit no exactly yeah exactly <laughs> but yeah I, I also found that as well as in terms of I had to do extra to get praise and do more than mm. anybody else and I think that that developed my work ethic um yeah. like I said my my work ethic is one of my I would say strengths is I work, I, yeah, put in so much, so much hard work, and I'm a big believer in the harder you work, the luckier you get. Um, and I think that that came from my father there. So that sort of tough love, I think, worked. Uh, another person was um, actually the headmaster at Harrow uh, Harrow School in Hong Kong. He was, again, to me, quite an influential person on how to manage people, um, how to get the best out of people. But again, his work rate. Um, that, that came across to me and really resonated with me. Um, so those are the, probably the two yeah. sort of leaders. The grafters. Yeah, the grafters, yeah. I mean, that, that comes through in what you're talking about showing up and, mm. and it's, it's, it's about how you act. Yeah. And I think that the promise of a room where coaching takes place is only really realised if everyone in that room, once they step through, mm. starts to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You no, know, and it's supposed to be fun work, but starts to actually yeah. use that room for what it's for yeah no exactly and I think as well actually what he also taught me as well was just keep learning just never never think you're, you're the finished product and you can always mm. get better even if you're the, the top level you, you can get better every day so that love for learning I think is is, is vital awesome amazing uh, the second thing we asked Danny and this is uh, can be anything at all doesn't have to be uh, school or coaching related is there anything that you would like our listeners to uh, be pointed towards to know more about is there anything you want to plug yeah I guess I guess for me like I said is that what we said about that leaving that classroom is be the best version of you and have that mindset you don't need to have elite talent to have an elite mindset and if you get that mindset right anything is possible um, and again just to link in that's your choice like behaviours and are your choice what you do um, so yeah just just follow, follow your dream it feels like that's why the B team and the C team and the you know the F and the G team are so important mm-hmm. because you can you can bring that that sentence right there yeah. in at any level yeah yeah and it's how we progress, isn't it? No, it is exactly that. Yeah, exactly that. That's the, the, the B team, they they get that mindset right. They're going to be better than they would be if that mindset wasn't there. Hmm. Progression is hugely important, isn't it? Yeah. Danny, thank you so much for coming on. No problem at all. Thank you very much for your time. Cheers, Danny. Brilliant to have Danny on there. Yeah, no, that was that was an awesome chat. I think one of the main things was just his clarity. Yeah. I think the way that he broke down what a director of sport yeah. is to him. Leadership, culture, quality control, like sums it up. And yeah, he did go into some details what he means by leadership. But again, it just spoke to that idea of, of being super clear upfront about expectations. He knows what he's there for. He communicates that to you so you know what to expect from him. Yeah, and I think it was nice in there as well that he kind of recognised that we do need to show empathy within that as well. So I think a lot of the time, especially when he looked at kind of being a visionary, 
uh, in the leadership aspect of a director of sport and taking someone on a journey and kind of bringing people along for the ride when you do have this kind of big vision, which may not be able to be achieved short term. It is really difficult to bring people along to that long term goal. And I think that there needs to be some empathy in there because sometimes it's not everyone's vision. And so it might take some cajoling, it might take some work, it might take some understanding other people and where they're coming from to yeah. to long-term bring them along with you. It brings it straight back to uh, uh, Danny from Sydney FC spoke about it. We've had a couple of other people talk about it, that if you're going to lead, you have to start by listening. If you're going to get people on board or work towards a common goal as a leader, you've got to make sure that you are hearing who these people are, learning about them, learning what their strengths are, learning how they work, learning how they and you fit together. What I found fascinating with this one was like, we've not really touched on when you were saying there about, you know, the strategy and vision uh, of the leader that there is, this is the first time we've kind of got near to this idea of the buck stops with with you, that your job as a leader does require certainty of vision and certainty of, of strategy, that communicating it through collaboration is one thing. But in this case, it felt like this is the first time we've talked about it starts and it ends with that kind of clarity from the leader to say, this is, this is what we're doing. Yeah. And I think, you know, he touched on it a little bit as well, that ultimately, you know, there are going to be people who don't want to go on that journey with you Mm. and they don't see that vision. But I think you get to find out who those people are a lot quicker when you give them the clarity of the vision. Yeah, we need to we need to speak to a recruitment consultant, don't we? We need to talk to someone about the ways in which you can find out if this, because everyone's going to be showing themselves off in an interview. Your best version of yourself. Yeah, yeah exactly. From Danny's chat. And he said it literally when he's, you know, when he was working in Hong Kong, the difficulty that you have of getting to the bottom of who someone is, are they right for this team? That's, that's a first hurdle. So yeah, I think, I think we'll, we'll, we'll try and track down some recruitment legends uh, and see what we can find out about how you get to the bottom of it as quickly as possible in that interview when everyone is wearing their suit and, Uh, quoting their CV. Absolutely. Yeah. I I really liked as well, just being the best version of you. So he kind of mentioned that across the board. So himself, his team, and then the students, you know, and and having that conversation with students and staff and saying, you know, after a lesson, after a coaching session, was that the best version of you? And if it wasn't, and you didn't feel like it was, then maybe there's some learning that needs to happen. What was missing? What you bring in next time? Yeah, exactly. Super episode and just a really nice guy. Like I think after that chat, we invited him for a cup of tea in the office. I mean, I think it'll probably be a while before he comes down to uh, to London in these lockdown 2.0 times. But, well, exactly, uh, and hopefully vice versa. Hopefully, we get the shout to go to go up north a little bit as well. <laughs> yeah, because actually, not too long after you shared his LinkedIn post, you actually forwarded something that his drama teacher at the school that he works at shared as well. And so that was a fascinating look at how to deal with lockdown there. So yeah, we should we should take a, a road trip. I'm down. Let's go. Record, Mark. record, recording on the motorway. Get the keys. 
Uh, as soon as we're allowed to, we're 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 hitting the road. No eye podcast on tour. Uh, but <laughs> 2021. Twenty twenty one. But for now, while we're stuck in our while we're stuck in our studies and our kitchens and such, uh, we will leave it there and say thank you everyone for listening to this one and to all of them. Thank you for feeding back. Thank you for uh, the reviews that you've given us and for chatting to us on LinkedIn and on socials. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, it's at no I podcast on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, it's uh, Sean Gallagher and Mark Johnson on LinkedIn. We'll put the links in our descriptions as always. Uh, or you can email us, Mark or Sean at noipodcast.show. Indeed. I thought you were going to thank our sponsor, Mark, but we still don't have one, do we? <laughs> so Microsoft Teams, if you want to throw money at us, please do. <laughs> uh, I think Audible sponsor a lot of podcasts and Sean reads a lot of books. So Audible, if you're out there, you want to sponsor us, do. <laughs> um, but for now, uh, unless you're going to email us straight away, uh, all that's left is uh, for us to say goodbye from Sean. Goodbye, guys. And goodbye from me. We'll catch you next week. Goodbye. You must be like the Wolfpack. Teamwork. Yes.